even in the NFL draft, we kind of had it right as far as what round, but we were so off uh, when it comes to what team. Um, we got some recruiting updates. Uh, a couple of guys listing Oklahoma in their top whatevers. Uh, they've all got numbers. We have one high-profile prospect who has released his date that he's going to make his decision. And unfortunately, there is some bad news on the injury front for Oklahoma football. Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. A lot to break down, a lot to cover. And we're coming earlier in the week than normal because we wanted to be able to talk about the NFL draft and the impact that it had on the Oklahoma football program with four new guys getting drafted. And at this point, one other guy, Parnell Motley, signing a undrafted free agent con- uh, contract. But we got to start with current player Jaden Hazelwood. Rich, I sent you the message on Thursday night. You know, the NFL draft is going swimmingly. You see, um, you know, you see CeeDee Lamb get off the board. You see Kenneth Murray get off the board. And then I get this message about Jaden Hazelwood. And honestly, I was going back and forth because what I had, the information I had on Thursday was confirmed injury. And here's what we suspect. And so I went back and forth, went back and forth whether to uh, actually publish that or not. And I, I ended up going ahead and publishing because news began to grow on Twitter. And even though we couldn't confirm that, we actually, I personally didn't confirm the injury until Sunday. And I think I sent you a text on Sunday to, to confirm it is an ACL. So Jaden Hazelwood, ACL injury, most likely gone for the season. Um, he will receive a red shirt. There's no need for a medical red shirt because he played as a true freshman. So he'll be able to red shirt as a sophomore season um, if he's not able to come back, which it doesn't look like it is. And here's where this leaves Oklahoma right now, receiver-wise, because this is a hit to Oklahoma's receiving core. The Sooners roster goes 14 deep at the receiver position. And you take away two, you got to take away Hazelwood, you got to take away Trajan Bridges because he's most likely facing a suspension to start next season. But there's some, st- there's still some pretty good names out there. You know, you, you think about, and that, that doesn't even include a guy like Austin Stogner. They're 14 deep at just the receiver position. Austin Stogner's moved to the tight end H-back. That's where he's listed on the roster. Um, and so you've got those guys, those Austin Stogner type players not even included in this, but you've got, I mean, Charles Rambo. I was already expecting a lot from Charles Rambo as far as him being the top target uh, coming into this fall. Theo Weiss, Marvin Mims, a true freshman coming in. He's already on campus, so to speak, even though no one's on campus right now. But he, early in Rowley, he got to do the one uh, practice that Oklahoma got. And then a guy like Theo Howard, who by all accounts is making a pretty good recovery on the Achilles injury. And we'll be back for most of, if not all of the season. You just hate it. I mean, you just, you hate any type of injury. Um, and I guess what, as I'm going to pitch it to you now, my, my, my biggest thing is this. If you're a coach and you can't have your guys on campus, but you want them to work out, you want them to stay in shape, you want them to be game ready. This right here is worst case scenario. This is what you fear about play. Now, this could have easily happened in Norman, but the fact that it happened on his own, working out on his own, he was trying to make some cuts, stepped awkwardly and popped the ACL. You just got to be thinking, man, if I, if I had him in Norman, this could have been different, right? Uh, you can ask what ifs all day long, but ultimately we'll never have that answer. We'll, we'll never know what what we do know at this point in time is the coaching staff is forced to deal with a situation specifically on the offensive side of the ball when it comes to the receiver position. And initially, I was looking at Theo Howard, the injury that he sustained, the tweets that he would be back sooner rather than later, kind of an insight into the progress. But I took that for, for face value didn't dig any deeper. All of a sudden, Obi Obialo is the next transfer at the receiver position from Marshall to come in, which to me signified that the Theo Howard injury may have been more significant than what, what people were letting on to initially. Now with Jaden Hazelwood, you've already mentioned the potential suspension. All of a sudden, these transfers play a much larger role 
than what we may have expected them to initially, given the strength of the recruiting class in 2018 was at the receiver minus the quarterback, but was at the receiver position. The only question that I'm left asking is with the most recent news with the ACL injury of Hazelwood, does Oklahoma dip back once once again, do they dip back into the transfer portal and look for someone? Or as you've mentioned, do they look at the depth that they currently have and say, hey, we've got a guy like Drake Stoops who who can play some spot for us in a backup situation mm-hmm. who adds that depth but also has that experience. There's a lot of options that Oklahoma can do when it comes to filling that role that mm-hmm. Hazelwood is vacating. But Honestly, that's that's the only question. That's where my mind immediately yeah. goes. And, and the thing it is, like, like I said, this the 14 receivers currently on Oklahoma's roster does not include those H-back guys like a Stogner, like a Jeremiah Hall. And, and you know, that means there's 12 guys out there. There's 12 bodies. And when you're recruiting at the the level that the University of Oklahoma is recruiting on, you can you need four. You, you need a, you need a solid four if you're not going to. If you're not going to include Jeremiah Hall, if you're not going to include Austin Stogner, you need four of the of these remaining 12 bodies to be ready to play. And you, you've got that easy. And that's without going to a guy like a Drake Stoops. And I think that the person who stands to benefit the most from this is Marvin Mims because this kid is a beast. He's a monster. And Oklahoma was already going to have, in my opinion, a difficult time keeping him off the field this coming season as it is. And with Hazelwood being down, that just, it's another window of opportunity for this kid to come in there. There's, and there's going to be more receivers that come into the mix here. uh, Once the summer hits and they're able to um, regroup and get everyone back on campus. So no, in my opinion, you don't go after you don't go back into the transfer portal because you you I mean you're at your you know where you want to spend your scholarships and when you're this deep at a position and when you've got the talent that the University of Oklahoma has at this position, in my opinion, there's no point in looking into the portal to to, to this is a stopgap measure. I mean you you don't need you don't need someone for two or three years. I mean you need someone that can come in and play be it this fall or next spring, whenever this season starts. And keep in mind, if they push this thing back to the spring, which there are still conversations about the season being pushed back, then this isn't going to matter. Hazelwood's going to play in the spring. He's just not going to play in the fall. So I think you go business as usual. You look at a guy like Marvin Mims and you think opportunity has, has knocked on your door. Now, what can you do with it? I, I, I love this idea, Matt, because as you're speaking, talking about a stopgap, I I don't know why that triggered in my mind. We're obviously focusing on the wide receiver position. Now, I know you've mentioned guys like Austin Stogner and Jeremiah Hall that are very versatile in what they bring. And essentially, I labeled them previously as the linchpin that allows Oklahoma to do what Oklahoma does offensively which allows Lincoln Riley to field the offense that he wants to field. But when we begin to look at the unit as a whole, we take a step back and we look at bigger picture here. You don't have to have the most capable wide receivers on the face of planet earth to be successful. Everyone is expecting Spencer Rattler to take over. And all of a sudden you're talking about an athletic quarterback who's very mobile who when he begins to move, defenses are going to begin to shift. You don't have to be, again, the most capable wide receiver to take advantage of a defensive shift. You just have to recognize when it happens. It's going to be an extremely experienced, and we're expecting the offensive line to take another step forward. They were adequate, but we want them to be absolutely dominant. I think Lincoln Riley's mentioned that in the postseason or in this Whatever you want to call it, he's mentioned that as well, taking the next step forward. And there are capable running backs in the backfield. It's it's not a situation where one receiver makes or breaks the offense. This is an offense with so many weapons that I'm in agreement with you in saying they don't need to dip back into the transfer portal. Although that was a question entering this conversation, they don't need to dip into the transfer portal because of what already exists on the offense as a whole. 
Yeah, and it doesn't, you don't need the most, you know, I can't remember exactly your verbiage, but the, the most talented wide receiver. You don't need them, but it sure doesn't hurt to have them, right. you know. And well, and that's what Hazelwood really, well, when, when, if we right. were going to break it down, we could say he's the most talented receiver that Oklahoma has. Maybe. I mean, I, look, I, I think Charleston Rambo is extremely underrated because he's lived in the shadows mm-hmm. of Marquise Brown and CeeDee Lamb. We've never seen Charleston Rambo kind of take over. And I think, right. I, look, if, if beca- I think it's between those two. And honestly, if you're going to say, hey, you're going to lose one of these two guys, I think I would pick to lose Hazelwood over Rambo at this point just because we kind of, we, we know. I mean, we've seen this kid play for mm-hmm. two years now. And he's more experienced. He's more adept to things like blocking and downfield. Uh, you know, what you're talking about, defensive shifts and adjustments and, and that, those zones and knowing your route and all that stuff. But all that said, the good news is that this happened now and not in October or, you know, November when you've learned to really rely on Hazelwood and you've got time to establish a plan to replace him. It's a lot easier to replace a guy five months out from the season than it is to replace a guy two months or three weeks or five weeks into the season. And we haven't even mentioned because of high school circuit, because of seven on sevens that take place across the country. We haven't even mentioned the chemistry that Rattler has already established with Several other names that do exist on the roster. Well, Theo Weiss and Austin Stogner right, are two who, that come to mind. Everyone thinks will be available. Yeah, yeah. They're, this Oklahoma's still deep and talented at receiver. So you hate this for for Hazelwood. You hate it for the impact, the immediate impact on the team. But I think Oklahoma's going to be okay. I mean, this it, isn't losing a Kennedy Brooks. It's not losing um, Spencer Rattler, and it's not even losing a Charles Rambo. But it is losing a guy who could have been significant this season. But at least it's a guy who can burn a red shirt and come back and, st- if he wants it, still have right. three years of eligibility. Basically, you're telling me there's a little bit of a silver lining. A little bit that, of a silver that lining. That we can lean yeah. into in this situation. I feel you. Speaking of silver linings, the the uh, the drought continues on Oklahoma securing its next commitment for the class of 2021. But the Sooners are close. Four-star receiver has set his date for making his commitment and – we got some more news on Caleb Williams as far as some of the defenders that he's going after. Oklahoma gaining some momentum on the recruiting front. Yes, it has been a little bit of a lull, if you will, and the Sooners having someone actually come out and make that commitment public for to the class of 2021. But it doesn't mean that things aren't working. It doesn't mean things aren't falling in place. Coveted four-star linebacker Kendrick Blackshire. Look, let me just stop right now and just say, Go look this guy up. Look up some film. This dude is a monster. He has uh, so far 29 scholarship offers, and he's narrowed it down to his final six contenders for his services. And those six include Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, Baylor, Oklahoma, and Illinois, for some reason, the the Illini uh, jumping in there. I don't know. You tell me. But um, this dude is a physical freak. I'm saying that he may be on par maybe on par with what Adrian Peterson was when he came to the University of Oklahoma. And uh, honestly, right now, I think he's a Alabama lean, but not by much. So if he had if he had to make his decision right now, I think he's going to go play for Nick Saban. But Oklahoma certainly in the mix, and Oklahoma making some inroads. And when I talk about physical freak, Rich, 6'2", 250 pounds. You could go to Heartland Sports, uh, heartland-sports.com, and you can look him up on our on our uh, post there. And I've got a um, a video of him just straight up doing the what it's called, doing the uh, the the box jumps. 250 pounds. Have you seen the video? No, I have you, not. I'm just gonna let you. All right, guys, 250. Okay. What do you want to guess he does as far as inch wise in this box jump? I mean, you, you've already touted it pretty highly, so my expectations are pretty high here, Matt. Okay. If I had to take a guess that I thought was pushing the boundary 
but also playing it a little bit safe, mm-hmm. I'm going to go right in the 50 range. Yeah, it's 60. 60 inches. Okay, five, that was my initial five, five, but I, I reeled it in. Reeled it in Five just a bit. feet. The dude is, and if you don't know what a box jump is, it's basically where you just squat and you jump up on a table or you jump up on some weights or some pads. So from standing still, he can jump straight up 60 inches. That's nuts. And again, Oklahoma in the picture with him, Alabama a little bit dominating the conversation, but the Sooners definitely are not out. He's the number eight ranked inside linebacker in the nation right now for this class, according to 24-7 Sports, 32nd ranked player out of the state of Texas. That said, Oklahoma also, we've talked about the hot dog gang, right? All those guys connected with Caleb Williams, Christian Leary, who was involved in that, a four-star wide receiver. He's announced, hey, this is when I'm going to make my commitment. And you you actually wrote about that uh, at Heartland Sports. So why don't you tell us what we know about right, so uh, he, Christian Leary. What we learned last week, and I think this was unbeknownst to you, I say last week, it hasn't even been a week at this point in time, but it does fall under the category of last week as it was on Thursday. I had mentioned to you that the first crystal ball projection had come out for Leary. It was 100% lean towards the University of Oklahoma. We're talking about one of the major dominoes that could potentially fall in Oklahoma's favor, which then removes a bit of this mystery, removes a bit of the veil from the Caleb Williams decision. Ultimately, we won't know until that commitment is made, but the picture gets just a little bit clearer. And that's not to say that Leary's 100% set on the University of Oklahoma. Here's what we know is that Leary is set to make his decision on June 6th. If you're not aware of the date because you've been shut in your house for so long, that's just over a month away at the time of recording this podcast. That time is going to fly by pretty quickly. But when it comes to Christian Leary, um, I think he's obviously a wide receiver that Oklahoma wants. It's why they're in on him. It's why he has an offer. But when he compares to someone, I, I think he fits that Charleston Rambo kind of a role. Now, he may have a little more speed than a guy like Rambo, but you also like the the versatility that he brings to the field because this is a guy who can be extremely lethal in direct snap situations. But also, if he gets the ball in space, he's got enough speed to pull away from defenders. All around, I think he's a good pickup. I think he fits the mold of what Oklahoma has desired in wide receiver. And that goes back even before Rambo to Hollywood Brown. We've seen a number of guys come through the university who have top-notch speed, who essentially could be track stars in their own right if they wanted to be, but they're choosing to play football, and they excel at it. They're they're exceptionally good. That's the type of player that, that Leary is to me. Yeah, and you said the dominoes begin to fall, and I would expect around that time we'll see things get really serious with Caleb Williams, who we're going to talk about here in just a minute. You know, all those guys are tied into Caleb Williams, Mario Williams and so forth. And I think that's, I would guess, that's probably about the end of when Caleb is done with this Sports Illustrated weekly blog post that he has been putting out because that goes into the summer before his senior year. And I think this was intended to do to kind of go through his school year and the ins and outs of recruiting and so forth. So I would bet somewhere around that time, we begin to see some of these guys connected to Caleb Williams begin to make their pledges and and I think I think Leary and Mario Williams may be the two key players to to kind of give us an indication where Caleb Williams is going to go. It's quite crazy to me because for the longest time, we had thought that Caleb Williams was assembling an army of recruits more specifically connected to the offensive side of the ball. All of a sudden, I'm throwing this towards you via your post today again time of right or time of recording this but now it seems as though there's a little bit of a shift we know that Oklahoma has had some deficiencies when it comes to the defensive side of the ball is Caleb Williams looking at some of those deficiencies 
and now beginning to pinpoint different defenders across the country who he's saying, look, I think you're a difference maker. I think you have the ability to take this specific university as it pertains to Oklahoma to the next level on the defensive side of the ball. Why don't you come play with me? Do we see a little bit of that happening? Well, no, we, and we talked about it last week. That's a hundred percent what Caleb Williams is doing. You know, he, he talked about last right, week but- about, about finding defender. Now this is, this was an interesting, um, a post by Caleb Williams today because it didn't really um it didn't really highlight um one university over the other. Now we know he's narrowed it down to five and what he said over the weekend was he's gonna release a new top schools, which I think is gonna be three. And I've got a prediction I'm gonna throw out there for you. Um and I actually included that in the post that I wrote for Heartland Sports. But he he really focuses on on this on this latest blog post, his effort to go after defensive guys, but it's it's hard to all the other ones you could kind of somehow some way you could connect the dots a little bit if you're an Oklahoma fan. There it's it's extremely difficult if you're an Oklahoma fan to read this post and connect those dots. For example. In previous posts, you know, we talked about Lincoln Riley and how much he loved Lincoln Riley and how they how they chop up film together and how he's invo- including that in what he's doing for his senior year of high school. Last week he talked about Dabble Sweeney and he talked about Clemson, but he didn't he didn't go into detail with Dabble Sweeney and and the Clemson Tigers like he did with Lincoln Riley. And he's always mentioned names like Christian Leary, like Mario Williams, that you know that they're tied into the University of Oklahoma and they're tied in because you see, we call it the hot dog game, because you can see Caleb Williams and Mario Williams and Christian Leary all do the tweets together, you know, the hot dogs together. The guys he mentions this week, he mentions Mason Smith, a five-star defensive tackle who's already committed to LSU. He mentions Coy Foreman, who had been committed to Clemson, um, now he's leaning towards uh, USC, maybe Clemson. Well, USC's not on his top five list. Mm-hmm. He mentions Latrell McCutcheon, who is believed, he's a four-star cornerback. He's believed to be coming to Oklahoma, or at least be a lean towards the Sooners. He mentions Kevin Gillum as a, a, four, a four-star defensive end who is very much wide open with his recruiting. There's, there, you, you're hard-pressed to find where he's leading. Now, Oklahoma is in on him. Oklahoma has offered him, and you kind of get the sense that Oklahoma is one of many schools that Gillum is interested in, but there's nothing there. And then Clayton Smith is a four-star linebacker who, by all accounts, seems to be heading to Austin, Texas to play for the Longhorns. They're not that Texas isn't on his radar. And then the only guy he mentions is Jace on the offensive side of the ball is offensive lineman, JC Latham, who's a four-star offensive tackle. And everybody thinks he's going to Ohio state. And so it's kind of like, I, I get the feeling of when you look at this week's entry by Caleb Williams, I kind of get the feeling it's like, look, I'm trying. Here's where I am in the process. Here's guys. I just want you to know I'm focused defensive minded because what what's Joe Oklahoma fan been saying? Well, what about the defense? You know, what are you going to do on the defense? Every time and when we see this through our own social media and through our own comments on the website is we'll post out something about a kid um, who would be a, I mean, he could be, he could be a five-star recruit, the number one wide receiver, number one running back in the country. And you post it and you send it out there. Someone's going to say, well, what about the defense? You know, when are you going to go get defensive guys? And I think Caleb Williams is trying to hit that, that mob mentality that lets you know, Hey, I'm, I'm not just going after offensive guys, but I don't, what I get the impression of I don't think he's making the inroads defensively that we really want him. Uh, we want to be able to say that he is because some of these guys, if they come, I mean, look, Mason Smith would be amazing to have, but you're going to have to get a five-star defensive tackle from the state of Louisiana to flip from LSU to Oklahoma in order to make that happen. I don't see that happening. I look, I Caleb Williams, he, he, if he was from Louisiana, 
maybe you have a chance. This guy's from Washington, D.C., and so I don't see him having that much pull. And the same thing with the the, the Foreman kid. This Corey Foreman, um, this dude is a freak of, of nature as well. But it looks like he wants to stay home in California, which is why USC is being brought up. Now, granted, there's a, a better opportunity that he gets a guy like Foreman who's not fully committed to anybody yet than he would with the Mason Smith kid. But this – here, here's what I took from this week's um, from this week's um, blog post from Caleb Williams. I think LSU's out. I, I don't. I, I think this now legitimately is down between Oklahoma and Clemson. That that's what I. You, you look at these guys. You look at the pattern. Really? Yeah, I do. Look, um, even knowing the quarterback number one who is currently at the mm-hmm, helm mm-hmm. of the Tigers and the one that is in, in waiting, whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Yeah. I mean, he's got the same situation at the university of Oklahoma. It's just one year removed. And I, I, I think he's, I think he's going to have top three. Okay. And, and here's what I don't know about us when he, he makes, he's going to make an announcement. I believe this week that's going to narrow his decision from five to three. And what I don't know is what is he going to do with Maryland? Maryland has been involved. There. Well, that's what I'm saying. Maryland's been involved with everything he's doing because they're quote the home team, you know. But Maryland, he's not going to Maryland. And is this the point where he says, "Hey, look, I love you, fam, but what's best for me is not to be a terrapin. What's best for me is to go play for one of these more prestigious coaches at a more prestigious program." If that's the case, then I think his top three is going to be Oklahoma, LSU, and Clemson. But if he keeps Maryland in there, I would I would not be surprised to see LSU eliminated from this race for it to come down between Oklahoma and Clemson with Maryland thrown in just because of the local love. That's just my take on this. And you know me, I've been wrong a lot, okay? But that's what I'm reading between the lines here when I look at who he's talking to and where those guys are are pledged. And one other thing, I'm just going to throw this out here. Don't be surprised if a new school jumps in this list. That's 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 one more thing shooting from the hip. But don't be surprised if a new school like, oh, I don't know, Ohio State suddenly makes their way into this new list that he's about to release. My only takeaway from this whole conversation, Matt, we've got to go back to the original goal. We, we've got to look at what Caleb Williams set out to do when the offers began to pour in, when he was elevated to the number one quarterback recruit in the country. And that was for whatever landing spot he, he finds, whatever that final destination is, that university would have a meteoric rise. You and I have said it. You've said to the top of the recruiting mm-hmm. rankings. That can't be done unless you're recruiting both sides of the ball. Let's be honest. That, well, no, I'm not saying just, he's not recruiting both no, no, sides no, no. of the I, ball. I get that, and I'm not saying that's what you're saying at all, but I'm saying that post to me says, look, I, I recognize I've put the work in on the offensive side. I haven't had as much success maybe on the defensive side as I would hoped, would have hoped. So now here's a handful of names that, that I'm currently in conversation with. Let's see what we can make happen. Mm-hmm. Like I said, a meteoric rise is going to happen by recruiting both sides of the ball, not just by one. Well, and it's particularly a landing spot like the University of Oklahoma where he could come in offensively and be fine. Even if he didn't bring him back, even if Mario Williams didn't come with him, he could come here and be fine. Defensively, no. You know, he, he needs help. And he and at least he rel- recognizes that and is working towards that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want I, I to project something that I don't believe. I still think he's leaning towards the University of Oklahoma. What I don't, no is I, I just there's nothing I, there's nothing that you can really gain from this week's entry and and I will tell you this if you're following recruiting for 2021 Ohio State is building they're they're building something very special and that's why I said 
you, you look at some of these guys, they're linked to Ohio State that he's talking to. It would not surprise me to see another team jump in on this. And it wouldn't surprise me to see LSU kind of not bow out themselves, but be eliminated from his his competition here. Is we'll, we'll definitely have a lot to talk about when we get back together next week to to do our recruiting update. Hey, there's there's one more kid I want to talk about. Uh, Malik Neighbors is a, a kid out of Florida who um, is sorry uh, he's out of Louisiana, but he's everyone expects him to be going to the universe, University of Miami. This kid is a four-star receiver. He's one of the key targets. He's the Christian Leary, Mario Williams of the Miami Hurricanes 2021 recruiting class. He released his top 11, and it includes the University of Oklahoma, along with like Virginia, uh, Mississippi State, Oregon, Miami, Georgia, Penn State, Michigan, Ole Miss, Auburn, and Kentucky, right? Last season, he caught 58 passes for 1,223 yards, with 21 scores, he's got 31 scholarship offers, six six foot even, 190 pounds. If you go to heartland-sports.com, we have some it's it's scrimmage video of him. This dude's fast. Now here's what's interesting for me. Do you know who's recruiting him from the University of Oklahoma? Do you know who the lead recruiter is? I don't. That would be Roy Manning, who coaches cornerbacks. Now, Neighbors does play both sides of the ball, but I think this is a kid that what maybe Oklahoma is offering something a little bit different in that, hey, we there's there's definitely some interest in him playing on the defensive side of the ball. If, if there wasn't, then Roy Manning, I don't believe, would be the lead recruiter. Roy Manning might be a guy who, based on the regions that they divide their recruiting up in, Roy Manning might be a guy who makes some contact and checks in on him, but you would see – you know, a, you would see somebody on the offensive side of the ball take the lead on this kid. They're, they're, and I, they, look, offensive coaches recruit defensive players and defensive coaches recruit offensive players. It happens all the time. But I think, I think OU's maybe trying to do something different with this kid than, than for, say, anybody else, not. And, and what that is, is offering the opportunity to play on both sides of the ball. We saw them experiment with it a little bit last year with Trajan Bridges. And this is something that maybe OU can throw out there and get in. Now, a lot of people believe this kid is already heading to the University of Miami, and it may not matter, but I, I do. I will tell you this. University of Miami is stacked at the receiver position, even more so, I think, than, than, than Oklahoma is. So maybe Oklahoma has something to offer him that no one else is offering at this point. That, that's that's all I got to say. Um, um, use my four scumps. All I got to say about that. Hey, we, we got to talk uh, NFL draft. Who landed in the best position? What are we hearing from the teams that drafted and um, and just kind of rate the draft all overall? This is the Sooner Nation podcast. CD Lamb, the first Oklahoma Sooner off the board in the 2020 NFL draft. Lamb going to the Dallas Cowboys a little bit later than expected. I didn't honestly when. When the Raiders didn't take him at 12, I didn't know. But here's here's one thing. I was hoping Miami had to pick right after the Cowboys. And unashamedly, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. Um, I was like, hey, you got Tua. Now take CeeDee Lamb. And I I really think Miami would have grabbed him had the Cowboys not. But Oklahoma fans probably more excited about him being a Dallas Cowboy because he gets to stay fairly local and you'll get to see him every weekend on television in this market. Uh, Kith Murray going to the Chargers. Jalen Hurts in the second round to Philadelphia. Neville Gallimore falls to the third round where the Dallas Cowboys pick him up to team him with CeeDee Lamb. So let, let's start with this, Rich. In your opinion, of the four Sooners drafted, who lands in the best spot here? In my humble opinion... I I honestly believe, man, I didn't want to go with this one initially, but I have to at this point in time. I, I've got to go with Jalen Hurts. Really? Going in the second round, I know we talk about the progression that he made. Mm-hmm. You talk about the performances, the highlights, a guy who accounted for 52 touchdowns. I believe it was just last season alone, but you talk about – 
and I mentioned it last Thursday, Matt, was the continuity. When you have an opportunity to be in a situation continuously, I think we would have seen Jalen Hurts improve year upon year upon year after Lincoln Riley. But you saw just how accurate he was at Oklahoma's Pro Day. You saw the performances at the NFL Combine. You talk about the intangibles, the leadership qualities, the just a good teammate. Never once did you ever hear about Jalen Hurts complaining about, at least publicly, about losing the starting role to Tua Tagovailoa at the University of Alabama. It, it just never came out. Instead, he was supportive and, and he worked with the guy. How can you not want a player like that on your team? But here's why I find that he's in such a favorable position. One, you look at Philadelphia, who has a starting quarterback in Carson Wentz. The expectation is not for Jalen Hurts to be the starter, but I also see, and everyone wants to throw out the Taysom Hill comparisons, we can even look at the packages that were designed specifically for Lamar Jackson when he entered the NFL in a very similar role, an athletic guy who played the quarterback position but wasn't expected to be the starter upon entering the NFL. And so I think he's in a very – in the most favorable position of all the Oklahoma draftees because, again, not a huge expectation will be placed on him. But I also see that he can get immediate playing time in various ways. I'm not saying as a quarterback. Matt. No, he, he's not going to play any position other than quarterback. Right, but I mean, I'm not saying that he gets immediate playing time yeah, he's, as the starting quarterback. Well, he's not even going to be the second-string quarterback. I and disagree with No, I, well, then you're going to disagree with Doug Peterson, the coach of the Eagles, who said Nate Suttlefield is our, our, our Sudfield. Well, okay, the, the point is this. You're, Baker you're, Mayfield wasn't the starter you're, well, until he was the okay, starter. Well, but Baker Mayfield was drafted for a completely different <laughs> reason that Jalen Hurts was. Mm-hmm. Um you're, I think you're 100% spot on in that expectations-wise, right. there's not a better position than, than Jalen Hurts. The kid's going to make a neighborhood of $6 million on this rookie contract and have to play maybe 10 plays a game because I do think that they're going to design specific RPO, run-pass options mm-hmm. for Jalen Hurts. And I think they're going I'm, – I'm just thinking what I would do if I had Jalen Hurts. We we know Doug Peterson is a quarterback guy, okay? He he can help move Jalen Hurts in the same direction that Lincoln Riley pointed him in. But we know Carson Wentz is the starter. We also know that Carson Wentz occasionally gets injured. Right. And you got this Sudfield kid who is going to be the backup, according to Peterson. And I think that the reason why that is is because it allows Jalen Hurts to focus on these are ten plays. All we want you to do right now, this first year, you don't worry about being QB1. Don't worry about being QB2 unless an emergency arises. We want you to worry about these 10 plays. Memorize your options and get your your tendencies down on these 10 plays. And you're going to see him, I think, begin to take that role, not a Taysom Hill, because Taysom Hill does it all. I mean, he catches passes. He throws passes. He runs the ball. I think Jalen Hurts becomes – we're talking about the NFC East, which is a division that is a used to be branded as a very physical brand of football division in the NFL. And I, I, think, I think the Eagles want to continue that tradition. Jalen Hurts is going to be their, their short yardage guy. You know, third and one, here comes Jalen Hurts. Fourth and inches, here comes Jalen Hurts. And he's going to have those those limited options to get him started. I look, the Eagles had a plan. Now, and and to me, the thing is, is that you and I both I believe you and I, I know I did. I think you were on board. We both said that the Eagles, or excuse me, we both said that Jalen Hurts would go in the second round. Neither one of us that I can recall had the Eagles on the radar with Jalen Hurts. We had the New England Patriots. We had the Dallas Cowboys. Really thought the Las Vegas Raiders were just madly loved him. But we we said, you know, look, if he's there in the second round, these are the teams that are going to snatch him. The Eagles never made that radar. And, and, and I, I may be forgetting if you said that, but I know I didn't say it. 
But that said, people are shocked that Jalen Hurts has gone in the second round. I don't, I don't understand that because if two guys like you and I can figure out that Jalen Hurts is going to go in the second round, surely these experts <laughs> can know this kid's going to go in the second round. And it's, it's not that big of a shock. I think what was the shock was that the Eagles took him when they have Carson Wentz really entering into the prime of his career, but they have a plan. Doug Peterson is an offensive guy that, uh, that likes to Oklahoma fans can attest to this, likes to do some trickeration and Jalen hurts falls right into that category. That's why they're taking him. I, I, I wouldn't expect him to be anything other than the third team quarterback at this point, which means that there's another guy on the roster, Lulita or whatever that dude's gone. Okay. He's not going to make it out of camp. Um, but to me, that's not the best situation for an Oklahoma football player that was drafted outside of just general expectations because there are none for Jalen Hurts. Right. But the guy, in my opinion, who made the biggest splash is Kenneth Murray. You've got you've got the Chargers trading, trading up, up to get him. And I, I believe what L.A. is going to do here is they're going to totally revamp their linebacker core around Kenneth Murray. They, they lost da- uh, Thomas uh, Davis. They lost uh, Jatavis Brown. Um, the Denzel Perryman only has one year remaining on what his contract is right now. I think they drafted Murray to be the cornerstone of rebuilding that group of linebackers. And as far as, <clears throat> I mean, if you draft a quarterback or a running back, you're expected, <clears throat> excuse me, to pay immediate dividends. But if you take a linebacker, you take a linebacker and you just got to make tackles. And that's if there's one thing we know Kenneth Murray is good at doing, it's making tackles. He's not going to be the quarterback of the defense. He's not going to be the key factor in whether this defense succeeds or whether it struggles. He's going to be a cog in a wheel of rebuilding. And this guy's going to come in here and he's and, – and here's the thing. I think because the Chargers traded up to get him – I think because they want to rebuild their linebacking core, and I think because they want to make a make him a, a, the name. You know, they, here's what they want to do with Kenneth Murray. They want him to be Junior Seau. For for years, Junior Seau was the linebacker. When you thought about, and back then it was the San Diego Chargers, but when you thought about Chargers football, Junior Seau was the name that everybody was. It was synonymous with Chargers football. They want to do that with Kenneth Murray. And you know what that means? That means dollar signs. So this guy, first round draft pick, traded up to get him. You're going to make him the cornerstone of your linebacker core. Dude's going to get paid. And he's probably going to get paid a little bit above average for that pick in the first round of the NFL draft because of those reasons. I I love this spot. I, I, I love the fact that Gallimore and CeeDee Lamb, and we'll talk about that. I love the fact that they're going to continue to be teammates in Dallas, but I love, I mean, of all the guys, there's only four of them, but all the guys that landed in the NFL draft, there's not a, a, a spot that I love better than Kenneth Murray at, at the chargers. There is a second train of thought that's going down the tracks, Matt, not in an entirely different direction than where you're pointed, but in a different direction nonetheless. And when you look at Kenneth Murray, You look at his ability to move sideline to sideline. You look at the tenacity that he plays with, the ability just to get the job done, to play downhill, but you've removed, and I get that when you look at the three years at the University of Oklahoma, Kenneth Murray was the only freshman that was being taken to Big 12 media days. He repeated that the final two years of his collegiate career, at least, but I don't think anyone goes out and says, look, Kenneth Murray is the Travis Lewis of a defense. He's not going to be that vocal guy who really comes in and, and sets the tone. Is he efficient at his job like Travis Lewis? Absolutely. Does he flow to the ball consistently and identify who actually is the ball carrier? I think he does that at an extremely high level, which is why we've seen him 
turn into a first round draft pick in the NFL. But when I'm looking at the chargers specifically, when I'm looking at them trying to put speed on the field, it's all in an attempt. And this is the other train of thought that's out there to close the gap between themselves and the Kansas city chiefs. Well, everybody's trying to close the gaps. I get that, but it's all being broken down into speed. The term mm-hmm. that's being used yeah. is, is speed. Yeah. And, and you look at, that across the board when, mm-hmm. you know, the, the chargers draft, they got a new quarterback, you know, and there, this is a team that's, they, they've got, they've got a, a fairly new location in Los Angeles. Now they got new, new faces. Philip rivers is gone. The, this is a, a group of rookies that they're hoping for at least the next decade will be the face of their franchise. And you're absolutely right about the speed. When you look at the way these guys play both offense and defense, mm-hmm. their selections, everyone, especially in the West, Everyone's tra- it's a track meet with Kansas City. You're absolutely right on that. And that's like I said, really where Kenneth Murray he still fits that mold. It's not a bad mold for him to be into. But when he's paired up and he finds himself in this mono mono situation against someone from Kansas City and he doesn't keep up, what happens? Well, first of all, first of all, you're talking about a rookie versus. Right. Most likely a pro. Okay. But secondly, (laughs) there's not going to, this, this is maybe a shocking statement, but it's truth. There are not going to be very many running backs in the NFL who are faster than Kenneth Murray. There's just not. So if we're talking speed on speed, I like Kenneth Murray against just about anybody that's going to be carrying the ball. Now there's going to be exceptions, especially Kansas city. You know, Tyreek Hill is more of a receiver, but they do things where he gets the ball in the backfield. Mm -hmm. There are those guys that are going to run away from Kenneth Murray, but it's because they're going to run away from everybody else. But, you know, um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the the guy that – and that's a a mind-blowing pick for me that the Chiefs would spend their their first-round pick on him when they've they've got all the offensive weapons they could Mm -hmm. really want – They've got a running back in Damian Williams who could have made a really strong case to be the Super Bowl MVP. Could and, have. And, you mean he did? And, well, I'm just saying everyone wants to have to go to the quarterback these days. But the but this is a team that defensively, they struggled against the run. And so you, you've you got an offense that's good enough to match pace with anybody in the NFL already, but you, that you add another running back into the mix instead of trying to address something on defense in the first round. The point I'm making is there there are teams, there are guys on teams that have track stars and everyone's going to struggle against them. But when you, when you talk about speed, I have confidence. I, you and I both watched this guy for three years. I have confidence in his speed. And let's just go back. I'll let you pick any player from the last three years of Oklahoma, any defender, one-on-one, game on the line, you pick one defender to make the tackle. Are you picking anyone other than Kenneth Murray? Not in the last three years. That's, that's the point I'm that's making. for certain. This guy, he's going to, in my opinion, he's going to be a star in, in Los Angeles. He's in the right town. He's at the right team. And he's in the right position at the right time. It is just, it's built for him to succeed and the, the Chargers should be, and based off of what they're promoting out there on social media, they are extremely pleased with what they got in Kenneth Murray. They should be. Now, speaking of extremely pleased, let's move on to the Dallas Cowboys for just a few minutes because regionally here, that's more of a story. Did you see Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy, their reactions when they got CeeDee Lamb? No. They were ecstatic. They... And, and this isn't new information, you know, we're several days after the draft now, but they had lamb as, as yeah, go ahead. You No, yeah, I'm not trying to cut in, um, but here's what's so crazy to me about the NFL draft. That was that we, you and I sat here and discussed, and I even said it on the record that I expected the first three receivers of this draft to be gone by that that 12th pick. That didn't happen at all. What, and Ruggs going as the first receiver off the right. board. What was Which, that all about? I, I don't know that that was as big of a surprise because there was some word, I don't know, maybe here in the last month, that said he would go number nine. 
Mm, yeah, and I mean, over Jerry Judy and CD Lamb. Well, that's exactly what happened. If you would have told me another receiver was going to get drafted before Lamb, to me, it definitely would have been Jerry Judy, which ended up happening. But Ruggs being the first guy off the board, I would have had him the third guy off the board. But that's beside the point. So speed, Ju- man. It's all about speed. <laughs> well, Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy had um, Lamb rated as their number six overall guy in the draft. All the players in the draft, he was number six on their board. And when you go go back, I'm sure it's on YouTube. I'm sure it's on Twitter. That moment where they drafted CeeDee Lamb, mm-hmm. it was extremely celebratory because they they could not believe they were getting this kid at this point in the draft. And Jerry Jones, you talk about it. You know, we talked about expectations for, um, for Jalen Hurts. It's opposite for CeeDee Lamb. Have you seen – do you know what number Jerry Jones wants CeeDee Lamb to wear? It's not number two. No, he wants him to wear number 88. He oh, wants fun. To, yeah, he wants him to wear Michael Irvin's number, right. Des Bryant's number. This is that special – the the elite of the elite wear number 88 and for the Dallas Cowboys. And that's the expectations they have for CeeDee Lamb. Now, again, he's going to get paid. He's going to make a ton of money. He's a Texas kid. He gets to play for the Cowboys. And – I would put him probably in the second best situation when it comes to Oklahoma players selected in the NFL draft. And the reason why is because you've got two guys that are star caliber that are, that are ahead of you on this depth chart. I mean, so your number one is going to be Amari Cooper. You got a pro bowl guy at number one. Gallup is a kid that's really elevating his game. He's a young star. Who's turning into a veteran. He's getting ready to jump into his peak prime and now you're going to throw CeeDee Lamb into that mix on a team that, oh, by the way, has Ezekiel Elliott as a running back. And so you're not being the rookie. CeeDee Lamb's not going to draw very many double teams. And we we know, we can attest to, again, we watched him for three years. We can attest to the physical attributes of this kid, the way he can play physically. We can also talk about his athleticism going for jump balls. If you if you press him, he's going to be really strong. He's going to be really fast. This is a good situation for CeeDee Lamb because he's the number three option. But I'm willing to bet he kind of takes on a, a little bit better. And a lot of Cowboys fans will know the name Cole Beasley and, and really kind of how he was that guy who benefited from other people drawing double teams. That's what's going to happen to CeeDee Lamb, but he's a much better version of Cole Beasley. So if I'm ranking where these guys landed spot-wise, CeeDee Lamb's number two to Kenneth Murray. A great spot. Now, I, I were you shocked to see Gallimore drop into the third round, or were you just like, yeah, okay, I thought that would happen? Because uh, we talked about we, the need at that did. position. Yeah, we did, and, and that was the reason I fully believed when you and I sat here and, and were discussing it pre-draft, I guess I've been saying Thursday was the last time we recorded when in reality it, it was Wednesday, Wednesday right. because the draft was happening. Needless to say, I had thrown out this. There was such a wide spectrum for Gallimore on the predict, predict, excuse me, projections, not predictions. I wanted to use the word projections there. Almost had a, a big uh-oh. Projections for Gallimore were anywhere from late in the first round to like middle of, of the second round. So am I surprised that he drops into the third? Not necessarily. And again, it was just such a widespread based upon need, which teams needed a defensive tackle and which did. And those were few and far between this year. Yeah. And the Cowboys, in my opinion, didn't really come in as that team that needs a defensive tackle. Why? Oh yeah. Because they signed Gerald McCoy in the off season, but now you've got, if you're Gallimore, you've got the the situation where you get to come in as a rookie and learn from one of the best in the business. Not only one of the best to ever play at the University of Oklahoma, where you played, not only, but the, the best in the NFL at that defensive tackle position. This is, a, an, again, a great spot for Gallimore. I don't believe he's going to be the every down defensive tackle. There's no way you're going to sign Gerald McCoy and then bring in Neville Gallimore to – but – but McCoy is a veteran. He's older. And when you talk about the cost well, of maintaining a body like that, Gallimore is a great spell, particularly on passing downs. 
So Gerald, Gerald McCoy is going to be your first down guy. He's going to be your run stopper guy. But when you need to get after the quarterback, that's when Gallimore is going to come in there. And, and there's a ton of things that I believe Gerald McCoy is going to be able to teach Neville Gallimore uh, just getting off the snap quicker and reading and recognizing he's already got the speed and the ability to shoot the gap. And we, we, we saw him play. We, we had him for, for four years playing five years on the, uh, on the team at OU. This guy knows how to get into the offensive backfield already, but Gerald McCoy is going to help him become even better at who he is. And so I'm not a Dallas Cowboys fan, but you got to love the fact that, uh, but that the Cowboys are loading up on Oklahoma football players, much like we saw with Baltimore. Now you've got a team just south of Norman that's got Gerald McCoy, it's got Neville Gallimore, it's got CeeDee Lamb, it's got Blake Bell. Oklahoma fans are going to be tuning in to watch the Cowboys, I think, way more than they ever had before. And Jerry Jones being the master marketer, he knows that as well. Man, Matt, I'm just not a fan. Of the Cowboys, and, I'm and not I don't either. Know that but anything that could ever pull me. Well, in that look, I, I'm not a fan of the Cowboys, but you can't not want these guys to succeed. Again, oh, when when you sure, talk about Jeremy sure. McCoy, Blake Bell into the mix with these with these two new guys, mm-hmm. I mean, you look, I I will cheer for them more than I ever have before. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, not me, <laughs> not. And and the reality of the situation is, I'm not huge on the NFL. Huge. As the president would say, I'm I'm not big on the NFL largely um, because I don't carve out time to watch the NFL on a Sunday, and I don't have enough <laughs> channels to get the Monday games, and I would have to go out to eat somewhere to catch Thursday. So B Dubs, I know a lot of it is is because I've cut back on cable, and I don't have any subscription services, or I might actually watch the NFL a little bit more. But again, I I do just want to hit on something that you said very briefly. And that is when you see these kids come through the university that you're a big fan of, it doesn't matter where they go. You you hope for the best because ultimately they had a dream and, and they're out to achieve it. And it's hard not for me specifically not to root for someone who is attempting to achieve a dream that they've probably had since they were just a little kid in Pop Warner football. Yeah, and that brings us to pa- uh, Parnell Motley. Goes, you know, we all thought he was snubbed at the combine. Mm-hmm. I still had Apparently him. It was right. Yeah, I still had him going late round. I thought he'd go sixth, seventh round. Mm-hmm. Ends up getting undrafted, um, going undrafted, I guess, but does sign an undrafted free agent contract with Tampa Bay. And if you're Parnell Motley, you 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 have the chance to live your dream, to follow right. your dream. You got to go out and prove it. And and. Going back to the University of Oklahoma, if I'm Parnell Motley, my first phone call right now is to Tony Jefferson. How do you go from being undrafted to being an All-Pro? And that's, I mean, that's that's what I want to know. T- Tony Jefferson had a lot of talent. Well, I and, think Parnell Motley does as of, well. A lot of untapped talent. Mm-hmm. We saw a lot of what he was capable of. It just wasn't consistently at the collegiate level. Now, something that arc changed, his career arc mm-hmm. changed at some point in time. I don't know if it was the motivation by going undrafted. I don't know what that key factor was that motivated Tony Jefferson to become the player that he became in the NFL. The one thing I'll say as it pertains to Parnell Motley is because you and I had this conversation, Matt. Parnell Motley had two decent seasons, one of those not as a full-time starter at the University of Oklahoma, and then he had his senior season. All of a sudden – we as collegiate fans are high on Parnell Motley and saying that he deserved to be at that combine, that he was one of the biggest snubs or one of the most egregious errors that was made by whoever was making those selections and sending out those invites. But the reality, and you said this, and I've got to give you credit, was that we can't throw away the bad years. Right. Well, it's you, just a, it's all about film. Yeah. Right. You do have to account for those. And if we were to come up with a median for Parnell Motley, I think they got it right in the long yeah. run. Yeah. He's, unfortunately, you're you, yes, you're right. They they mm-hmm. but go out there in August or July when the team starts meeting together for camp and pick off Tom Brady a couple times. You got a chance to sign right. a contract. Man, I. You mentioned Tom Brady, and I just keep thinking of that receiving group that's mm-hmm. going to be in Tampa Bay. Holy cow. 
Yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm not high on the, as high on that situation as other people. I, I do like the fact that Gronk is coming back. You know, I, you can't not be a fan of that. But um, I don't see – I see that working out a lot, a lot more along the lines of Joe Montana going to the Kansas City Chiefs years ago than anything else. That's and Peyton Manning. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it has a Peyton Manning type ending. Is what I'm saying. I, I think it has more of a Joe Montana type ending. But that's just me. Um, hey, he's Rich. I'm Matt. This has been the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland at Sports Heartland on Twitter, or you can find us online Heartland-Sports.com. We do have a uh, an entire post dedicated to the podcast where you can leave comments. You can find us and subscribe at Apple Podcast. We're also on Spotify. We're on iHeartRadio. Uh, basically, anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. Have a great week. Boomer Sooner, everybody.